When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Right now, it's time to really review day one of the third test over in Pakistan. We've got Paul Dennett from the Cricket Unfiltered podcast joining us. Dennis, how are you going? Hey, Jen. Good evening. How are you? I'm excellent, thanks. What did you make of this day one, third test? It's the deciding test. We need a result. What are you thinking after day one? Um, I suppose, firstly, it's quite a, a, a landmark day for cricket because it's been 13 years since a test match was played in this in Lahore. Um, mm. The last time there was the test match there, there was the, the terrorist incident um, involving the, the shooting of the Sri Lankan team bus and um, several people being killed. And so that's been what, what then meant that there was no test cricket in Pakistan for almost a generation. So uh, for, for it to be returning to that city is, is quite substantial. And um, the, the, sort of the biggest moment was that uh, Asan Raza, one of the umpires, was critically injured, almost died in that attack. So the fact that he, 13 years later, is umpiring in his home ground is, is, is a nice thing to see. So I think that um, overshadowed the cricket to an extent. And it was a, lovely to see cricket back in Lahore. Um, the match itself, I think that a lot of people thought when Australia won the toss that they might therefore um, win the match or at least be um, the dominant team in the case of a draw. And for much of the day, it looked pretty flat, the pitch. But wickets, you know, they did tumble. Australia lost five wickets in the end for 232. That's more wickets than have fallen on any of the other two first days um, in the Test Series. And it was it was quite an explosive start, actually, that... Um, David Warner was out right at the start. A really good ball, keeping low and um, ducking back in and getting him at LBW. Manus Lavashane played a rare sort of loose shot and was also out cheaply. And Australia were two for eight. And then it was Usman Khawaja who once again, as he has done throughout this entire series, who batted brilliantly and with and with Steve Smith. Smith again falling short of 100, made only 58. But it was a pretty important partnership that got Australia probably back on top. But then as Pakistan took a few more wickets um, by the end of the day, so it's probably interestingly poised. I was looking up quick viz that predict these things, and they've got at the moment Pakistan a 20% chance, Australia a 36% chance, and the draw 44%. I tend to think a lot of people might think Pakistan have a little bit better chance than that because they kept Australia under control. And with five wickets down, if they can um, hit, hit them hard early on day two, then they're, then they're right in the game. There was almost a, a bizarre moment at the very end when we thought there was one over left to go. And uh, then as the players are all moving into position, the umpires went, no, no, that'll do us for today. We're off. And we walked off and you could see the Pakistani players go, oh, I thought we had one more. So it was um, usually it goes the other way. Usually it's the, the players dawdling and trying to get the umpires to make that call. But uh, yeah, the umpire said, no, no, we're done. Well, it shows what a, um, you know, what a lack of life I had. I was actually watching that with my phone watching the clock tick down um, <laughs> and trying to, to work it out. And I, as, as to, be, to be fair to the umpires, they did it right on the clock that um, 
exactly as the clock ticked to the um, to the half hour, they pulled the bales off. And I think that the last ball of the day, um, Cameron Green nudged one behind point that caused that, that extra five or six seconds delay because if it had been a dot ball, mm. I think they would have got another over in. So, yeah, they only got 88 overs in, which um, sort of slightly disappointing on a, on a day that not many wickets fell uh, to have that extra half hour and still fall short of the over rate, but that seems to be the modern way. And we also saw a couple of times throughout the day the umpires um, turning away the players trying to run on drinks and gloves. Steve Smith, we know, is a notorious for changing his gloves every what feels like three overs, uh, and they seem to step in today, even though we still went over yeah. time and had a slow over rate. They actually, we actually started to see the umpires say, no, no, not yet. Yeah, which is heartening. And, you know, I'd love to see more of that. Um, it was quite hot. I think um, probably quite hot. So I understand mm. it was probably very hot there um, today. But, yeah, um, you know, in the dim distant past, they could sometimes get in 22 overs an hour. So these days... The target's 15. They never seem to get um, that. And, you know, even 14 over an hour seems to sometimes be a bit beyond them. So um, it's a bugbear of mine and many Me cricket too. fans, but um, nothing seems to be being done about it. It does. It is an absolute bugbear. Actually, on the text line here on 04-33-98-11-16, we've got this text come in. For your information, the last nine state games held at Gaddafi Stadium have ended in draws. The slab of con- cracked concrete looks like producing the same. Under three and over for... Over for the day one, and again, ninety overs in less than ninety overs in a day's play! Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! Yes, I following us. Sorry, I had a look at those um, first class games because it's hard to look at the to try to get a read on the pitch because there's been no Test cricket for thirteen years. But those nine first class games that have been played this season, not only were they um, draws, there were there were plenty of scores of five hundred and six hundred and whatever else. So. Um, the only thing I'll say is that Pakistan actually dropped two catches. They dropped Travis Head and they dropped um, Steve Smith. Uh, if they'd taken those, there were three or four other kind of what you might call half or quarter chances. It could have been um, an even more uh, sort of day where Australia lost even more wickets, that Australia could have been seven or eight out. So um, maybe the pitch is slightly doing a little bit more than we think. And there was certainly some reverse swing. Um, yeah. Uh, Nasdem Shah, the, the youngster, got some reverse swing. And so it's going to be fascinating to see what Mitchell Stark and the Aussies can get. Yeah, Shah did seem to get it to hoop quite late as well. It, it We followed across these first two test matches that we've seen that have ended up in draws, albeit, especially the second one, we had, you know, it was fascinating viewing in that last half an hour. One of the things that's the key things that's come out of it is that old school cricket cliche of you've got to take your chances on a, on these wickets that it's hard to produce extra chances. The team that can snaffle everything that comes their way, that's how you change the momentum of the game. Absolutely. And Australia, unusually in that second test, did drop a few catches, which is um, normally something you'd associate with other sides. Mm. Um, the... Um, the two chances that, that Pakistan dropped were very catchable, both caught and bowled. Um, and, yeah, the, the the quality of the reverse swing at times was, was, was quite substantial. And even right at the end there, where, where Travis Head, they actually declined to take the new ball. And the ball before Travis Head was out caught behind, he had one that kept alarmingly low and he really skillfully clamped down on it. And then the next ball was um, spearing it off stump and with his kind of hard hands, he nicked it through to the keeper. So... Yep. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, maybe I'm being naive, but I still hold um, hope for a result yet in this test. <laughs> I always do as well. I always come into it with a bit, bit more optimism as well. But And I guess maybe that 
seeing some stay low gives me hope that out at the fast bowlers across the two teams will have an effect, as will the spinners, because then you know your hands might get lower and lower, and then when one actually does jump or stay at the height it should do, maybe that's where we'll start to see some variation in in the sense of the wicket, maybe not cracking up in the same way as we think to be a raging turner, but it might just be the difference in bounces. Now, Australia didn't change their 11 at all heading into today's game. What, did, what were your thoughts on that? I wasn't surprised. I think that um, rightly or wrongly, Australia tries to pride itself on making as few changes possible. They want to stick with the with the, with, with the the players that they want to show faith in. Um, you know, I don't think you can be too critical of them not making any changes because the the bowlers, without bowling the house down, all had their moments in that second test match. Mitchell Stark in the first innings was sublime. Nathan Lyon at the end of the second innings was was excellent. Mitchell Swepson had uh, was the poor old victim of those, most of those chances that were, were put down, and also a, a couple of very um, well, one in particular LBW that I, I thought should have been given out. So, uh, you know, I, any side that can afford to leave out Josh Hazelwood, Scott Boland, who's been forgotten, who's got a Test average of I don't know what, you know, nine or something, is is on the sidelines as well. And and I think that Ashton Agar on these wickets would be very handy. I think that the left arm orthodox is is really suited to these pitches, but. It didn't surprise me that they didn't make any changes. I, I possibly would have, but I can't really criticise them. Yeah, I feel similarly. I, I looked at it when I reckon Ashton would be really good, Agar, in these conditions, uh, coming around the wicket and spearing in and just maybe making some stuff happen with lots of fielders around the bat. But, yeah, to bring him in, you have to leave someone out. So, as you said, Swepson had a couple of chances that weren't taken, which then maybe changes people's opinion on how his first test actually went. Scott Boland's the interesting one for mine because he kind of came back into the Australian test squad during that Australian summer with the eye firmly on the Pakistan tour. He happened to come in earlier because of uh, the COVID situation and and injuries. Um, But now that we're in Pakistan, we haven't seen him. It's bizarre, isn't it? You couldn't say that he didn't make the most of his opportunities. (laughs) (laughs) He couldn't do much more. um, I know, and it's funny because when I was on our on our podcast, we were discussing who you know who should be picked, and we didn't ever mention Scott Boland. I'd actually sort of forgotten that he was over there, and then um, someone else mentioned. I thought, of course, you know, he on those sorts of pitches with his stump to stump bowling, he he could actually be very very effective. Just relentless, and again with that little bit of maybe stay lower. Um, you know, that's when it starts to, to come into effect. Maybe he doesn't move it too much left or right. But, yeah, he was an instrument. But, again, to leave him out, to put him in, you've got to leave someone out. So, obviously, they were confident in the recovery of the bowlers. I think that was where I thought maybe a change would come in was if just that workload and quick turnover of tests, maybe they had to rest someone. But, you know, all credit to the, you know, the strength and conditioning and the athletes for being able to prepare themselves in such a way now that they can get through these incredible workloads. It's a good point because there's only three days between the first and the second test and then four days between the second and the third. That's, um, I mean, just about the limit as far as you're not allowed to have any fewer than three days. Mm. And so we're one day shy of really it being back-to-back-to-back test matches, which is almost unheard of. So for bowlers like Mitchell Stark, who's bowled plenty of overs in that second test to to come up for this third test and for all of them to be to, to be ready to go. You're right. It's um it is a credit to their sort of professionalism and the and the sports science that um that backs it up. Yeah. It, even regardless, I know some people say 
you're not um, maybe some of them haven't bowled some of the loads. Like say in the first test when that second innings, the the pace bowl is really sat back. But you're still on your feet for that amount of time. That's the part that. I think all of us mere mortals, having not had to play test cricket, don't really understand. I know I've got a, a friend who's played test cricket and she says that one thing that no one talks about or tells you about when you're dreaming of playing for your country is that your feet often bleed throughout the days. And I was like, oh, that's a, not really selling it to everyone <laughs> to want to play cricket, is it? <laughs> it's said, a good point, though. And people who've never played much cricket laugh at the notion that it's a, you know, that it's a tough sport on your body. But it is so tough. Mm. And... I mean, uh, playing at very low levels, even when I've spent five or six hours in the field doing nothing, the <laughs> next day I sometimes haven't been able to walk. Yep. And if I had to play, you know, if, if I, you know, factor in 15 overs of um, fast bowling and then the next day I had to go and do it all again, I'd be in a mess. So, you know, there is, um, you're right, even when you don't bowl, there is, a, and the temperatures over there, not so much in the first test because it was very pleasant early 20s, but since then it's been well into the 30s. Yeah, and hot and humid, humid and, uh, you know, the air quality is maybe not as nice as it can be in other parts of the world. If we look at our batting lineup, we've got to talk about the resurgence of Usman Khawaja, 35 years old, uh, just scoring runs for fun. When he speaks, he speaks so articulately about how in control he is of his game, but also how, you know, things are as they are, as opposed to trying to worry too much about things. You know, I prefer to get 91 than zero, all those sorts of comments, commenting that he's off playing tennis and doing different things. He just seems to have found a really nice level and consequently his batting is so impressive now. Absolutely. Um, he, I mean, he's, uh, he's averaging now is 45.3, which has kind of crept up on me because wow. I always thought of him as someone who, yeah, yeah, averaged around that 40 mark. But I was looking today, now 45.3, he's gone above uh, David Boone, he's above Justin Langer. Um, and I, I think it's a combination of what you said, that he's definitely very comfortable and very relaxed and calm. Probably also that he was always a little bit unlucky, I think, in the past. So I was looking through his career last night and there was about three instances where he got dropped and I thought, oh, geez, they could have persevered with him a little bit there. I remember the... Um, the 2016 tour of uh, Sri Lanka, he failed in the first two tests and they dropped him to the third. But his form prior to that, he'd had a bumper mm. uh, nine or 12 months. And you thought, oh, that's that's pretty harsh. I could see why they did it, but, it, you know, it's still a little bit harsh. Even in the 2019 Ashes, he, he didn't uh, do very well in the first three test matches and they dropped him. But it was a series that no one did very well in except uh, for, for Smith, Labuschagne and, and for England, Ben Stokes. It was one of the hardest series yeah to score runs with. They didn't drop Warner and then he got a triple century the next um, next time out in, in Australia. I think they could have made the same thing saying, well, this is not giving an indication of just how good these batters are. These are very, very difficult conditions. This guy has shown that he's got what it takes. Let's persist with him. So it's a delight that now at age 35, finally he looks like you know he's going to be a fixture in the Australian side. I mean, I've said that before, but now it really does look like he's going to be a fixture for for a protracted period and it's exciting and, and wonderful. That's a great reflection actually on, on where his career has had some stops and starts and that potentially he's been the, the fall guy when others have been given the opportunity. If you forecast forward, what do you think is going to happen in day two? Australia bats on, what are we looking to get? Will we you know, declare, will we be able to hold wickets or do you think Pakistan will come through and rip through us? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's very, very difficult. I, I think that um, Green and... Um, and Carey looked pretty good in the yeah. last little half hour. And 
it was quite quite an important little session because they were they were right on top of Pakistan. They've just taken the new ball that's only had about five overs old. So um, it, it's going to be fascinating to see what they can do. My instinct is probably somewhere in between. I think that it doesn't look the sort of pitch where we're going to lose a, a clump of wickets. And I think that particularly if some of the tail enders can bat with um, <clears throat> with freedom, then a few runs could flow. But I don't think Australia's going to be in a position where they'll have to choose whether or not to declare. Um, I think that they'll get bowled out before that. And then, um, you know, assuming that Australia do um, add another 100 or 150, then it's a middling sort of total. And Pakistan will feel as though they're one big, um, one big innings away from winning the series. And that's what they've tended to do to Australia in the past. They just bat big. Mm-hmm. I just think on this pitch, I think the Australian bowlers are going to be hard to handle. I think that they'll be relentless. They'll be attacking the stumps. They will get some reverse swing, I'm sure. And um, I think that the big quicks will be difficult to handle, as will Cameron Graham. I mean, he's, he's a big quick as well. He's <laughs> the biggest of them all. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I'm... I'm I think that those cricket stats are reasonably accurate. I think uh, I would rather be in Australia's position than, than Pakistan's at the moment, just. All right, Paul, it's been great to get all of your thoughts on the day one action. We appreciate your company here on the Overnight Crowd. My pleasure, Jen. Great to talk to Paul Dennett of the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Uh, knows his cricket incredibly well and is optimistic about how this third test will play out will play out in Australia's favour. Fingers crossed it does so. Time for your calls and your texts next on The Overnight Crowd. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.